Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's now begin by praying to the Father. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together on this Sunday morning to worship you and to learn from your word and to hear from you and the Holy Spirit. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died for all our sins, was buried, and on the third day you raised him from the dead. We thank you, Father, that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. We ask this morning, Father, for the Holy Spirit, that he may be guiding and directing each one of us so that each one of us can receive and have a chance to contemplate the principles in the Word of God, the truths in the Word of God that will be before us this morning. We also pray for all the saints this morning, Father, particularly those who are in most need. And we ask all of this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. There you go. All right, so this morning, uh, just a couple of announcements as we get started today. Um, a couple of scheduling notes. On Sunday, May 29th, there won't be any service. There's a good reason for that. I'm looking at the reason right now. <laughs> um, next Sunday, believe it or not, is May 1st. So we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Yeah, next Sunday. Lord's Supper next Sunday. A couple of reminders. Prayer. Please uh, do everything you can to find a regular prayer pattern in your life. There's so many needs out there. We pray about as many as we can on Thursday evenings when we gather together for the Bible study. Um, you can also submit prayer requests on the website. It's the best way um, so that we do know about them and can pray for them on our website, www.lbible.org. Also, don't forget our partners in missionary and evangelistic activity as well. You can find them on our website under the tab Information, Fellow Ministries. They need our prayers and financial support. All right, let's begin our message this morning. title comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, where we will be in just a moment. The title is His Sheep Hear His Voice. His Sheep Hear His Voice. That, that, the, the word voice is going to be central to our teaching this morning, our study. So at this time, please turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 1. Going to be um, resetting the table a little because we had an intervening week where we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. So I'm going to get back up to speed with a few things that we saw two weeks ago. And then we're going to go forward in God, John, chapter 10, verse 1. But I will now read the whole passage from 1 to 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door of the fold, into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, 
But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, the first thing I want to point out this morning is that even though there's a chapter header, chapter 10, it's closely connected with chapter 9. We're going to take a look at that and a couple of clues that make it clear that there's a close connection between chapter 9 and chapter 10, even though they're talking about different things in a sense, because you have chapter 9, which is all about the experience of the man born blind, and then you have chapter 10, where Jesus introduces this extended figure of speech concerning sheep and shepherds. But they are totally connected. We'll see that in just a bit this morning. This is called a discourse that we do, what we're in in chapter 10. That, that word discourse simply means a teaching. It's a teaching that the Lord gives. And it's a discourse because it goes on for a little bit. We're going to see that chapter 10 is the last chapter that has these discourses in it. After that, Jesus speaks much less and is much more, John much more records the events that occur. Um, and, and I emphasize the word public because from chapter 13 to 17, there's a private discourse. That private one is only between Jesus Christ and his disciples. Okay, but we'll, when we get there, you'll see the significance of that and why there is such a transition after chapter 12. Okay, where his public ministry ends and chapter 13. There is a big break between 12 and 13 in terms of the audience. His public ministry is to everybody, particularly unbelievers. His private ministry will be only for the closest believers, his apostles. In any event, our chapter we begin today is very closely connected with the one that we just finished. We have a discourse here in chapter 10. But it's occasioned by, it's triggered, as it were, by a contrast. There's a contrast between himself and the corrupt religious leaders of his day. And those, of course, were the chief priests and the Pharisees, the people John calls the Jews. Most of the time, and again, in John, when he uses the phrase the Jews, he's talking about the leaders, particularly the religious leaders who are centered in Jerusalem. So there's this great contrast Chapter 10 and chapter 9 um, are the only places where you have the relationship between leaders and the people emphasized. So it's natural in chapter 9 when we saw a, a particular illustration of that, of the relationship between that man born blind and the Pharisees on the one hand and the man born blind. And Jesus, on the other, there's a, there's a total contrast, and it has to do with the way each of them treats, what we'll see in the metaphor, is the sheep. Each of them treats the sheep, the people, the lost sheep of, of Israel, in, in totally opposite ways. And that's really the, 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 the first connection between chapter 9 and chapter 10. They're both talking about the contrast between the true shepherd and the false shepherds when it comes to the sheep. And how they're taken care of. So as we've seen in the in the reading this morning, we see that Jesus introduces and presents several figures. Okay, figures. These figures were well known 
to the people, the Jewish people of his day. Not so well known today. Many of us, if, 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 we, if we hear today the sheepfold, the door, we wouldn't necessarily immediately latch onto it as something that I've seen a lot, I see every day. But they did, and that's important to understand. When Jesus talks in figures of speech, whether it's what we have here in chapter 10, which is really an extended metaphor, or in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where he used parables, there were always everyday familiar things that he starts with. Why? Because he wants something they're intimately familiar with as a starting point, a launch pad for the new things that they've never seen before. That's the way Jesus taught often. Okay. No, no different here, except he's using what he's going to do is introduce a bunch of figures and then he's going to draw from that and, and, and teach based on those. A big mistake people make is to treat this as an allegory. What does that mean? It means that everything that's said has to be connected with a spiritual principle or a person. So, for example, people go to great lengths to say who the doorkeeper is. Right. But remember, it's a good thing to keep in mind that if if the word of God doesn't reveal something, if Jesus doesn't point out the doorkeeper, you know what it means? It's not important. It doesn't mean that, 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 that there won't be pages and pages of commentary where people are trying to say it's important, but it's not. None of the, Actually, none of these in and of themselves have any importance other than that he can point to that and say, now, I'm going to talk about the door, but really I'm talking about myself. See, um, I say robbers and, and thieves, but I'm really talking about some people who are actually in my audience right now. That's the real subject. But I'm bringing these figures out so that you can have a frame of reference when I talk about what I really want to talk about. So that's what we have. Familiar to them, to the audience, a shepherd and his sheep. The sheepfold with its door. Thieves and robbers. These are the main figures that Jesus is going to draw from in his teachings in chapter 10. And so to get started, I'm going to just do a little drawing for everybody. So you might have saw this already. Just so you have a pictorial image yourself. Jesus was drawing a picture, so we're going to use a picture too. So, of course, we have... Actually, I'm going to start over here, because interestingly enough, if you look at verse 1, this is where Jesus starts. This is where I'm not starting. Okay. This figure. Notice him. I'm going to make this a little wider for your viewing pleasure. Now, who is that figure? A thief and the robber. We'll see why in just a minute. I point to him first because that's the first one that Jesus introduces. He doesn't talk about the shepherd first. He talks about thieves and robbers. We're going to see that. That's pretty significant. We'll see why he does that in a moment. Then we have the sheep, the people, as we're going to see. Okay. Then we have, of course, the shepherd. Right. But we also have a couple of other things. We have the sheepfold which is, of course, in here it's depicted as a fence. But importantly, we have what? The gate, the door, the gate, right? These are the figures. Now, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to use these figures that people understood and, and, what the, and how they related to the, the um, sheep, basically. But he's going to teach. He's going to talk about who the thieves and robbers are and why he introduced them first. He's going to talk about the relationship 
between the sheep and the shepherd. He's going to talk about the significance of the door. But he uses a picture that they could it could easily imprint on their brains because they've seen it so many times. And he establishes that first. And today we're going to spend our time in this figure, this this extended figure, extended because it's more than just one. Right. We see four major things here that Jesus is going to talk about. Again, we have this guy. Right. Eve, the robber. We have Jesus, the shepherd. We have the sheep and we have the sheepfold and the door. All right. And now by magic that I've just learned how to do, I'm going to take those all off again. So, again, I want to emphasize, let me back up one. Again, just so that we focus on the things that Jesus focuses on. A shepherd and his sheep, the sheep fold with its door, thieves and robbers. All right, again, the shepherd with his sheep, the sheep fold with its door. Oof. Thieves and robbers. And again, the magic. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning. We're going to try to ourselves orient to these things, understand what Jesus teaches about them in and of themselves. And that'll set us up for where we're going to go next week, where we're going to do what Jesus does. And we're going to focus in on one of these at a time, the way Jesus does in his teaching. And we'll see that starting in verse 7. All right, so what is this all about? Well, the image, uh, images were very, very meaningful to the people who were in his audience. Not only because they were very familiar with the figures, but also because in the Old Testament, they were very significant figures. What do I mean by that? Well, first and most importantly, and we saw this two weeks ago when we went to Ezekiel and Jeremiah in particular, but it's also in other books of the Old Testament as well. The shepherd and the sheep, the good shepherd and the sheep, pictured the bond, the intimate bond between the Lord and Israel. We saw last week that, two weeks ago, that the Lord kind of placed his sheep into the hands of under shepherds, if you could call them that, but they were bad shepherds. They abused the flock. The day will come when the Lord is going to say, I will take my own sheep. I'll bring them back to the pasture and I will be their shepherd myself. And of course, the, there it's the Israel is the is the sheep is is the sheep. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ will be the embodiment of God in the flesh, shepherding his people. The pasture will be the bland promise that the Lord has made to his people, and he will fulfill when Jesus comes back. In any event, that image is striking, especially if the people who knew the Old Testament and understood that, that this image, is they would hearken back to what the prophets had to say. Now, not only did the prophets talk about this bond in terms of God, the Lord, and Israel being pictured by sheep, by a shepherd and his sheep, but they were also wicked shepherds. You know, we, we studied this in the book of Isaiah. There were false teachers. There were leaders who didn't care at all about the people, who allowed them to wander, as it were, into, into breaking the law, breaking the Sabbath, um, adulterous relationships, idolatry of false gods. In other words, they didn't protect them. They didn't lead them. 
They didn't keep them in the, in the nourishing pastures and the clean water, but instead they allowed them to run wild. So you have that too. We saw that again a couple of weeks ago. We went to Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Jeremiah and Ezekiel compared wicked rulers to shepherds who abused their flocks. Again, an image that the reader, the audience, would have been familiar with if they knew their Old Testament, if they knew what the prophets had to say, and, of course, if they were, if they had eyes to see and ears to hear. Obviously, we've seen, well, that's the big problem with, with most of the people in the audiences that Jesus preached to, especially the leadership. They were blind to the truth. They refused to hear it. Jesus said, I speak the words of God, but you don't hear them because you're not of God. That's the big issue, the big conflict. And the more that the more powerfully Jesus relates the word of God, relates to them who he really is as the Messiah and the son of God, the more vigorously they pursue him, hate him, persecute him. That is the that is the drama of the Gospel of John. We've seen it pretty much throughout, starting in really in chapter five. But but even before that, you could see in chapter two, there were some rumblings even then. And of course, those rumblings will will build up to a thunderous um, earthquake kind of experience when Jesus is on the cross. But in any event, this imagery here, we have the wicked rulers as shepherds who abuse their flocks. They became thieves and robbers. Right, we saw that, the things that they did. And, of course, Jesus knew all about this, obviously. And he understood that that, too, was a major meaning that people should have received if, again, they had eyes to see and ears to hear. We're going to see there's at least one person in his audience in chapter 10 who now has eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's not the Pharisees, of course. Shepherds were supposed to. They were designed through. They're placed with the sheep with the purpose of providing care and protection. But the, the false shepherds in the, in the book of, of uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they did the exact opposite. They didn't care at all. They didn't protect them at all. So, again, the Lord promises in the Old Testament prophets that one day he would intervene himself. He himself would gather all his people, his sheep, from all the four corners of the earth where they had scattered he would bring them back into the promised land, the rich, rich pasture that he has always wanted them to have. But they would they, they, they would never stay there because of the fact that, again, usually because they did, they had bad shepherds and there they will enjoy an abundant life forever. Now, verses one and ten, one through ten of chapter ten, of course, deal, first of all, with the robbers and the thieves. They break into the sheepfold. They steal and kill the sheep. In context, in view of chapter 9, you ask the question, well, who are they? You know, again, in the picture, that's what I started with. I said, we're going to find out who they are. I've already given you some hints about that. But directly, the thieves and robbers were the spiritual religious leaders in Jesus' day, just as in the Old Testament they were. But in Jesus' day, those Religious leaders were the chief priests and Pharisees, the people that, that John calls the Jews. Jesus is actually ref referring to them as the thieves and robbers. Now, we saw already in verse six that his audience said, we don't understand what you're talking about. 
you got to wonder if it's genuine or if they didn't want to admit it. I think they genuinely didn't understand what they was what he was talking about because they'd long ago turned their ears off to anything he had to say. Only his sheep hear his voice. Nevertheless, anybody who who was paying attention would have clicked in. Ah, that's what he's talking about. Remember, we were in the Gospels of, of Matthew and Mark two weeks ago, where we see Jesus call them hypocrites who are full of robbery. Robbery, use that word, thieves and robbers. And self-indulgence. And we saw that they, they were those who would make a big show publicly of their holiness. But in the, in the back, they were devouring widows' houses, thieves and robbers. These were the leaders, the Pharisees, the chief priests. So with seeing all of that, they, there could be no greater contrast than the one between the religious leaders and Jesus. The religious leaders and Jesus. And again, here in chapter 9 and chapter 10, what comes into the center of that conflict are the sheep, the people. Okay. The false shepherds, they robbed people of their freedom, their money, and the truth. Their freedom, they were, they were under bondage to man-made rules, remember, made by the Pharisees and the chief priests, or at least enforced by them. They were robbed of their money, literally, because the, because the, the Pharisees and the chief priests were greedy, and they set up all these systems whereby the they, people had to give them their money, including widows, who only had their houses left to live on, and they didn't care. They were so greedy that they didn't even care about widows who they were supposed to care for, especially Old Testament, right? Widows and orphans were supposed to be under the special care, but they didn't do that. And of course, the truth. They robbed them of the truth. Think about it. What's the best way to rob people of the truth? Tell them lies. What's the other good way of doing it? Prevent them from from hearing people who do speak the truth. Put them down. You know, criticize them. Try to shut them up. They did all of that. And of course, I'm talking about the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ. They did everything they can to prevent people from hearing what Jesus had to say, believing in him. They were robbing people of the truth. And if you and if you extend that out, they were robbing people of eternal life, in a sense. But they were trying to. Because if you know the truth, the truth makes you free. They were trying to prevent people. They robbed them of the truth. They were totally indifferent and actually hostile to the deeds of the sheep. And, you know, you contrast that with the Lord Jesus who came down to lay down his life for the sheep. That's the exact opposite. You see, you see, in the metaphor, the bad shepherds, they, they actually kill the sheep for their own selfish needs. Jesus does the opposite. He's the good shepherd who will actually lay down his life for the good of his sheep. You could have no greater contrast than the one between the religious leaders and Jesus. And this figure that he, that he paints shows that clearly. One of the reasons I like that. But, you know, it took a long time for me to find that image I gave you this morning, by the way. It's interesting because I guess artists don't like to focus on the negative because I, there's all of these pictures out there. Jesus is the, you know, on the sheep with the, with the, Jesus is the shepherd with the sheep on his shoulders. You had, the, you had people show, this is what the, the, the sheepfold looked like. This is the door. Here are the sheep. You can't find any pictures that have the thieves and robbers in it. So <laughs> I had to work a while for that. 
which is unfortunate because that's that's the first thing that Jesus focuses on. So the religious leaders, they, again, were indifferent, hostile to the needs. Jesus is going to lay down his life for his sheep. He came to seek and save the lost, not to ignore them, to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the sick. What better proof, by the way, of all of this, this total black and white difference between the religious leaders and Jesus, what better proof could you have than what was in chapter 9? What better proof is there than the experience of the man born blind? I just want you to think back to that a little bit. Remember, think about the treatment that the leaders, the Jews, Pharisees, gave to this man. Think about it. Were they concerned at all about his spiritual benefit? Were they, had, had they not walked by him for years and years and never really done anything? So they, they, were, they, were, they were bad shepherds. They didn't care. They were hostile to this lost sheep. On the other hand, Jesus, of course, was the one who found him and sought him out after he'd been thrown out by the bad shepherds. The religious leaders, what did they do? They interrogated him hostilely. They abused this lost sheep. They, they finally, when they couldn't get what they wanted from him, they says they put him out, put him out to get rid of him. Jesus puts them out, as it were, puts them into the, the pasture. He puts them forth to lead them, to feed them, to nourish them. Those are total opposites. It's no coincidence that same Greek word that's used for, the, for what the false shepherds, the, the Pharisees and the, and the chief priests and the Jews did to the, to the man born blind. The same word, put him out, is used in chapter 10 for Jesus putting them forth. Because that they, you know, in the Greek it would have stood out, and again it was to emphasize, to exaggerate, as it were, the night and day difference between how Jesus treats the sheep and how the Jews, meaning the leaders, the religious leaders, treated the sheep. Jesus sought the man out. He made him see that he was the Son of Man. He cared. He cared most of all for his spiritual well-being. He, he wanted him to know he was the Messiah. He was the shepherd that the Lord brings to shepherd his people. I'd like you to turn back now to see this once again, to John chapter 9, starting in verse 34. John chapter 9, starting in verse 34. They answered him, they being the, the Jews, Right, the leaders, they answered him, you were born entirely in sins. And are you teaching us? So they put him out. They put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him. This is what the good shepherd does. Right, He seeks the one who is lost and finds him, searches for him, puts himself at risk to do so. They, Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him. He said, do you believe in the son of man? And, 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 and the man answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who was talking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus put first things first. He was most concerned that this man would believe the truth, would know it, first of all, and then believe it. 
And that's exactly what he did. He gave him the information about who the Son of Man, the Messiah is. And he said, do you want to believe in him? And because the man, once he realized that Jesus was the one, believed in him and worshipped him. You could say then that this man heard the voice of his true shepherd. And in fact, that is true. He heard he heard when the when the shepherd Jesus spoke to him, he heard the voice. He recognized that voice. He understood what the man was saying, what Jesus was saying. He heard the voice of his true shepherd. On the other hand, earlier on, he was deaf to the Pharisees. He wouldn't he he didn't have any frame of reference, anything in common with what in fact, the opposite what the what the leaders had to say. They, They were lying to him, even as he was telling them the truth. There was no, as it were, real communication. Why? Because he wasn't of their flock, right? They weren't his real shepherd. Jesus was. The man born blind was a son of Israel, a lost sheep of the of the of the nation of Israel. But he believed in Jesus and he became one of Jesus' sheep. And in so doing, he's a representative, right? He wasn't the only one that was being abused by the religious leaders, far from it. They all were pretty much, except for a few that were that they that were their favorites. He represents the remnant of believers. You see, you see, when you had these splits as we've seen among the people, where some of them believed that Jesus was the Messiah, most didn't, most sided with the leaders and say, well this can't this man can't be that, because if he were, the leaders would embrace him. So most were listening to the voice of the of the of the chief priests and the Pharisees. Only a few, a small percentage, a remnant, were the ones that listened to the Lord Jesus and believed what he had to say. Well, this man born blind represents all those people, the remnant of believers. Now, not only in his day, but in the Old Testament, he had the same thing. Most of the people rejected the words of the prophet, only a small number accepted them, understood that that the prophet was speaking on behalf of the Lord. That's who this man born blind represents. Now, it's important to understand this principle, because as we go forward in chapter 10 and Jesus talks about his sheep, he is talking about the people who believe in him, the people who believe in him. Okay, he's not talking about everybody. He's not talking about all the Jewish people. He's talking about the remnant of the Jewish people who believe in him. Chapter 10, let's go back now to John chapter 10. I want to give you a little high-level information about chapter 10 as we get started. Chapter 10, the chapter as a whole, has two sections, okay? Verses 1 to 21 and verses 22 to 42. If you know math, well, you all know math, but if you divide 42 by 2, what do you get? 42 divided by 2 people, 2 into 4 goes 2, 2 into 2 goes 1, 21. So in other words, this is a very symmetric book, chapter, exactly in half. 1 to 21, 22 to 42. Now, we're going to focus, of course, first on the first section. This is where Jesus introduces the, the extended figure, the sheep and the shepherd, and the door, and the robbers and thieves. He then goes forward and explains it. He kind of draws out a metaphor. See, a metaphor, I use that word, all it means is a comparison between two otherwise unlike things, right? Now, in other words, a door, you know, and Jesus really didn't look like a door. 
Okay, he had nothing in common with the literal door. Okay, what, what, but, but you could compare the two in such a way that use what you know about a door, and then he applies it to himself. That's all a metaphor is. Okay, Psalm twenty-three is a metaphor. The Lord is my shepherd. Right. Well, well, David wasn't literally a sheep. Right. He didn't have wall over him and bleep. He was using a metaphor. Okay, that's. So I just want you to understand. That's. It's really simple. It's just there's something, usually in nature or something people are familiar with, and then it's being compared to something else. That's really the focus. Okay, represents the, the first. The first section. Okay, is where Jesus teaches, and then there's a section. Let me show this to you. Okay. It's the verses one to twenty one is the first section. Most of it is teaching. Most of it is again that word discourse, just an extended teaching of Jesus. That's verses one through eighteen. Okay. After that, to kind of complete this first section, you get reaction. You get the reaction of his audience, the Jews. Now, as usual, when Jesus speaks, he divides, and we're going to see this once again. There was there's going to be a division. Between his audience, once Jesus speaks and teaches, as he does, as he will, in verses 1 to 18. So that's a familiar pattern. Teaching, and then controversy, conflict. And then then usually the leadership goes to condemn him. And we'll see that as well. Now again, though, within this first section, Jesus begins with a broad figure of speech. I say broad because if I put extended this with a slide, we'd have to go to two slides. But it basically just means there's more than one figure. Okay, I'm going to emphasize this again. The figure of speech is, again, pointing to figures, the sheep, the shepherd, the door, the thieves and robbers. He starts with that. Those are the first six verses. They're based on a real thing, a familiar thing, sheep herding. Okay. You know, if if, uh, if if you just kind of jumped in on this at this point, at the beginning of chapter 7, and you were listening to him, you know, he would say, hey, listen, the one who doesn't enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs in some other way, he's a thief and a robber. Now, that was true. Now, that had really nothing directly to do. You wouldn't automatically click in if you just came in out of nowhere and started listening to this teacher for the first time. You didn't have the frame of reference of the Old Testament, okay? So you would say, well, this is really, he's just kind of laying out some basic facts that are true about sheep and shepherds and so forth. That's that's the first five verses or that, and then verse six, then the audience, the Jews, the leaders in the audience said, we don't know what he's talking about. That's the first unit, okay? But again, it's a broad figure of speech. Now, once he does that, once he paints that picture, then he moves on to explain it. And he uses two metaphors. What am I saying? Well, he's talked about the sheep and the shepherd. Now the door, the thieves and robbers. And now he's going to take those figures and teach on them. But he really wants to teach about. He, wants, he doesn't really want to teach about thieves and robbers and their role in Jewish society. He wants to teach about the real nature of the of the Pharisees and the, and the leaders, right? He doesn't want to talk about a door or a gate because he wants people to understand the mechanics of a door opening and closing. He wants to zoom in on that and use it and say, I am the door, and let me tell you why, okay? 
That's what happens in the in the rest of his discourse, his teaching. He then explains it and he uses two metaphors. Okay, two things. He goes into that picture and he takes one at a time. He says, I'm going to talk about the door of the sheep, only I'm going to tell you I'm the door. And he's going to tell you why. They still have that picture. They understand that, you know, the, the, the sheep, the shepherd comes in, right? And then he takes his sheep and leads them out. They know that, but now Jesus is going to say, I'm the door. Now, you might have expected him to say what first? I'm the shepherd, right? And he will, but he leads off with the door. Now, that's significant. We'll see more of that. But if you think about it, that's that's the first thing. You see, the, the, the sheep are inside looking at that closed door, and they're waiting for somebody, right? That's first. They're waiting for the shepherd. Then the shepherd comes in. So that door is kind of the f- primary fixation of the sheep whenever the shepherd isn't with them. Okay. So Jesus says, I'm the door in verses 7 to 10. And then in verses 11 to 18, he then uses that second metaphor, comparing himself to the good shepherd of the sheep. And again, in both cases, he points that metaphor toward himself. He says, I'm going to make the connection between myself and the door. I'm going to make the connection between myself and the good shepherd. In other words, Jesus is the door of the sheep. By the way, that's the language of metaphor, right? Jesus is the door of the sheep, right? He's not literally a door. But there's a comparison being made. Jesus is the good shepherd. The same thing. Again, this morning, we're going to focus on this figure. That's why I put this up again. No, like when I finally master something, I kind of like to use it again and again. I've done this before, but it's been a while. Right? Again, he's going to paint this picture. He's going to. See, I, I spoke too soon. There it is. Robbers and thieves. They knew what those were. They understood how dangerous they were to the sheep. And here comes the shepherd. Here comes the sheep. Right? It's really this relationship that is the real one, the bonds, the intimacy. That's a terrible drawing. And then the door. Okay. You might say, why does he keep emphasizing that? Because this is the picture you have to have in your mind throughout all of the teaching. He's going to move to the teaching, and then he wants you to have been real familiar with these images first, because he's going to use it as the basis for his teaching. Let's see that now. Go, go. You are in John chapter 10, are you? Yeah. All right, let's go back to verse 1, and we'll get started. First two words, truly, truly. This is a favorite expression of Jesus that John records a lot. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door of the fold. He starts negative, right? He does not enter the door of the fold. Right away you're saying, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't supposed to happen like this. He who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber. I want that picture again. Here's the sheep. They're they're oriented to the door. What's happening behind them, as it were? Not literally, but picture picture it. Of the one who comes in, he's not supposed to be there. He comes in not to lead them out to the pasture, but to rob them. In many cases, to kill them, to get what he can from them. Okay. 
He who climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens. Don't ask me who the doorkeeper is. Right? There's no metaphor of the doorkeeper here. Just so you know, keep that in mind. Not important. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, the shepherd's voice. The sheep hear his voice. On what basis is the connection established and maintained between the shepherd and the sheep? His voice. That's so important. That's so important to remember. You want to know why? Because the ongoing relationship between us and the Lord Jesus Christ is the same thing. It's his voice. We're going to see how we hear his voice. Okay. At the end this morning. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls. That's what they hear. He calls his own. Notice his own sheep. All right. Why does it say that? Well, because in a lot of cases, when you had the sheepfolds, if they were big ones, they were kind of community sheepfolds, meaning there was more than one flock. And that became that's why it became even more important for the sheep to orient to the voice of their shepherd. All right. And they did. Okay, so so you can picture a lot of sheep in the sheepfold. Then this sheep shepherd comes in and then he calls his sheep. And then out of all of them, they kind of separate his own sheep, go to the go to the door and he leads them out, leaving all the others. Again, that's a picture, too. And remember that if you want to extend the image, we would say that there's a minority coming with him, as there would be. Right. There's a lot of other shepherds, but a lot of not a lot, but several and several flocks then this one flock would be small in comparison to the rest of them combined. Okay, again, verse 3, to him, the shepherd, the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. There's that intimacy by name. He knows every hair on our head, the father does. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he, the real shepherd of the sheep, puts forth all his own, his own. He thinks of him that way. These are my own. Right. We have that. We have an intimate relationship. He goes ahead of them. Right. Leader. Good leaders go ahead of the of those that he is there. He is their lead. And the sheep follow him because why? They know his voice. They follow him because they know his voice. Now, how do dumb sheep get to know the voice of the shepherd? <laughs> That's true. They do have good ears. Yeah, he's around a lot. He's always talking to them, right? So again, we're going to make the connection at the end today. You know, how do we get to really zoom in on the voice of the Lord? Repetition, practice, hearing that voice every day. That's how. Otherwise, you know what? We won't recognize the voice after a while. We'll be out there listening to other voices. Right. Other quote shepherds that don't have your best interests in mind, that don't have the truth, don't have the food, the nourishment. But if you have zooming in on the voice of your shepherd, that won't happen. When he puts off, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him. That's another real indication that there's a relationship here. Right. What what good is a leader if nobody follows him? Like the definition of a leader, really is that others follow him, right? As a matter of fact, the word sheep, um, one of the meanings of it was one who goes forward. 
just like the original meaning for shepherd meant somebody who's a protector. Okay. A stranger they simply will not follow, verse 5, but will flee. Again, he's talking about things that are simply true in and of themselves. Okay. Anybody who was living there back then would have would have totally got it. In fact, by this point, they might be thinking to themselves, well, yeah, we know all about this. Why are you? We don't have to learn about this. Why are you even talking about this? Right. Those who really didn't have ears to hear and, and eyes to see. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. It's unfamiliar to them. This figure of speech now everyone says, now we say, as the readers, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. This doesn't mean that they didn't understand what a shepherd is or what sheep are. Of course they did. They didn't understand the meaning behind what he was saying. Why is he saying this? Why is he saying this fresh on the heels of this man formerly blind being thrown out by, the, by, the, by the, the leaders and then being sought out by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they didn't pick up on. Most of them. Now, if you look back in verse one, I mentioned this leads off with those two words, truly, truly. If you look at that, if you go through the Gospel of John and find the places where Jesus speaks truly, truly, what you'll find is that inevitably he's following up on what he had said earlier to the same audience, okay? In other words, he's emphasizing something. He wants the he wants them now. He's saying, now listen. I mean, that's kind of what he's saying. Truly, truly. What that means is is that verse one of chapter ten is following along with what he had been talking about at the end of chapter nine. And at the end of chapter nine, he was talking about those who see and those who are blind. And he actually, when the Pharisees asked them, well, we're not blind, are we? And he said, if you, if you didn't, if you thought you were blind, then you'd be okay. But because you think you see, your blindness remains. He's clearly focusing in on the Pharisees and, and critiquing them. Okay. So when he says truly, truly, what he's going to say next follows along with what he had just taught, spoken of at the end of chapter nine. And again, in the Greek text, which is the basis, there's no chapter breaks. Matter of fact, there's no chapters. Right. It's just it's just a continuous book without any chapters or chapter breaks. All right. Now, notice again in verse one. All right. It starts off negative. All right. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not. Here's the picture. Enter by the door of the fold. Yeah. What is he talking about? There's a door. And then what? There's thieves and robbers. Later on, when he says, I am the door. What do you think the first thing is they're going to click onto? The first thing he talked about. There's a door, but don't don't forget, there's thieves and robbers. He starts negative. He starts with that ominous figure that we saw kind of peering over into the sheepfold. Verse two, then he brings a total contrast, right? But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. What is he saying? He's saying, remember what happened in chapter nine, the, the, the encounter that the sheep man formerly blind had first was with the thieves and robbers. Then Jesus comes into his life, the shepherd. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. 
So notice, in other words, that Jesus starts with the thief and the robber, not the shepherd. Right. That, that would have gotten their attention because they would have totally expected him to talk about the shepherd first. This is, of course, an indication of what he really thinks about the Pharisees, even though they don't get it, which is kind of amazing because he just really said a very strong statement against them. And yet when he continues and now calling them thieves and robbers, they didn't get it at all. It's, it's amazing, actually. Now, don't forget, though, who's in the audience. In chapter 10, and we'll see more of this, Jesus is looking at the Pharisees. He's speaking directly to them. He's the one that he wants to, that they, he wants to, he, they're the ones that he wants to hear his message. He's zooming in on them. But there were others present. There were other people. As a matter of fact, Jesus is speaking. When he comes into the picture in chapter 9 and he seeks out that man, there were others with him. He didn't come alone. Okay, so there's no audience here. Okay, there's the there's the Pharisees, but there's also others. By the way, who else was present? Who else had to have been there? Given the fact that this directly moved from chapter nine, chapter ten, the man born blind, who has eyes to see. In other words, the Pharisees don't understand, won't understand the figure of speech. But that person, the one who was blind and now can see and hear, does recognize that he gets the meaning. He understands what Jesus is really talking about. Anybody who had eyes to see and ears to hear, who came from that, that, that com- community, that society, and was familiar with the Old Testament imagery, you know what? They would immediately understand, you know what? Jesus is not just teaching about Animal husbandry here, right? Remember the main elements, the door, the thief and the robber and the shepherd. The door, the thief and robber and the shepherd. That's the first two verses. Now let's take a look at verse three. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. there, There are four things here. That are said about the, the, the good shepherd, the real shepherd. Okay, the doorkeeper opens. See, this is where the action starts in the figure. All of a sudden, the doorkeeper opens the door. Why? Well, he only opened the door to who? The shepherd, right? I mean, it's kind of obvious, but, but at the same time, pretend you're a sheep. <laughs> you see the door open. What does that mean? There's a shepherd coming in, all right? All right, so they, he does that, and then what, what happens next? The sheep hear his voice. I right, see now the focus is on the action around the shepherd. Doorkeeper opens, come on in, sheep hear his voice. Then what does he do? Calls his own sheep by name. That's another reinforcement. Okay, I'm here, I'm the one, and he leads them out. That's the action of the verse. Shepherd arrives at the door, doorkeeper lets him into the fold. Sheep recognizes his voice as he calls them by a special name. That he leads every one of his sheep out. When they are all assembled, he goes to the front and leads them to pasture. I don't know why, but I have this picture now of when you when you're a kid and you went on a field trip to school. And there was a bus and you arrive. And when you arrive, there's like millions of kids, it seemed like, all around. So what does the teacher do? 
brings you out, counts. Remember, I used to count. Right? Okay, I have 20 of my sheep. I'm counting one, 20. I recognize all of those kids, right? And then what? Goes in the front and leads them. That's the picture I have. That's that's kind of you know an accurate comparison. And then the sheep follow him. But for one reason and one reason only. His voice. You may say this is all obvious, right? Well, it's about to change, okay? Because we're going to look for ourselves this morning at the meaning of that for us. The sheep follow him for one reason, one reason only, his voice. Notice here the intimate personal relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. Jesus emphasizes that these sheep are his own. He says that in verse 3 and in verse 4. But he who opens, but he who enters by the tree, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. And then in verse 4, when he puts forth all his own. So there's that intimacy, the personal relationship. Not only that, but the sheep know his voice. Again, that personal, intimate connection. They belong to the shepherd. The shepherd belongs to them. He knows each one of them. They all follow him because they know his voice. It is as it were. Think of it. You see all these sheep. Shepherd walks in, speaks, and then all the ears of his sheep perk up. Right. and, And you know what? They will follow the man with that voice no matter where he leads them. They will follow the man with that voice no matter where he leads them. And then if we look at verse 5, what does it say? A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they don't recognize that voice. There's only one voice that they're listening for. No other man has that voice. No other man has that voice. You see, when, when when we're in tune, when we're on a regular basis, going to the word of God, hearing it, having it imprinted on our hearts. That's the only voice we'll recognize of all of the competing, shouting crowds, listening to speakers on TV. We don't pay attention to that. Pay attention to the voice of the of the of the man who we who we have been trained to listen to. No other man knows the name he has chosen for his sheep. So if a stranger tries to call them to his side, they will run away. The stranger's voice is foreign. The stranger's voice is a sign of danger, unsafe. Man, I'll tell you what. Sheep are smarter than most Christians. Because we have, we really have, this is really the picture, folks. There really is the, the voice of our shepherd. He knows us by name, Right? In the Old Testament, Isaiah talked about this relationship by saying that even if a woman, a mother, would reject the child who had who had nursed at her at her breast, the Lord will never forget you. He knows you by name. In the New Testament, Jesus said, "All of the hairs on your head are counted." That's intimacy. But you know what? If you never hear that, then you won't. You won't have that intimacy as not. Now, you're always in fellowship with the Lord. He's in you and you're in him. I'm talking about our daily experience of life, 
how it is that we go through life, go in and out, right? What pastures are we feeding on? What water imagery now are we drinking, you see? Once we drink polluted water for another time, we won't think about it's polluted anymore. We'll just keep drinking it, okay? Cheaper, smarter than most Christians. Ooh, hard statement, but it's true. I'm going to prove it to you. Please go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is what's going on today, even among Christians. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Who are they listening to? You know, I used to think I was kind of a curmudgeon when I would hear about these mega churches on TV and all of that, and they would bring celebrities in, right? I used to think, well, everyone thinks that's okay with me. I must be something wrong with me. I must be jealous of these guys, right? But you know what? You start listening to them, and inevitably, they're well-meaning and all of that, but they'll really make a mess of the Word of God, right? And that's that's the truth. That's the reality. I mean, why is it that we that we focus in on what the celebrities have to say about Jesus Christ when they know very little really about him, okay? But they're celebrities, so of course we're going to listen to them. Same thing with who do the people listen to that are, quote, pastors? Well, the ones with the books out, the ones that everybody else says is so wonderful. Well, the majority of the sheep in that sheepfold were not, they were not his own of Jesus. They were listening to other voices. But here's how the Lord has set things up. And here's how, the, how, how he has designed the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd, the one shepherd, by the way, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get that confused. Right? One of the big problems today is that mere men will stand up and you say, you can only listen to my voice. That's wrong. That's not what this is about. You should listen to the, the voice of, of the pastor because the word of God is coming out of that mouth. And that's the only reason. Okay. Preach the word. But but let me just say this, following up on that, the Lord has established pastors and teachers for that purpose. So I'm not saying to ignore, right? Don't ignore the pastor. It's very important, but make sure he's a real pastor in the sense of not his degrees, not, not his notoriety, but does he teach from the word of God accurately? Okay. Preach the word. Paul talking to Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready and in season. 19th century in England, I will throw that out, and out of season, 21st century in America. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instructions. However, in verse 3, for the time will come, it will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, the meat of the word of God, the pastors that are rich with nutrition and nourishment. They won't endure that. Why? Because that's boring. It's like the Jews in the desert. And they had the manna from heaven. Oh, man. We want to go back and eat the onions in Egypt, right? That's the way, That's the way. you know, he says this will be worse in the, in the last days. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. Notice it's the ears. They don't want to listen to the voice of their shepherd. There's other things that are more interesting for them to listen to. Having their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves. Watch out for that. 
If you find yourself accumulating for yourself teachers in accordance with your own desires, that is a big problem. Oh, I love listening to Joel Osteen. He he makes me feel so uplifted by the fact that I can go out now and live my best life now. And if I just listen to him, I'll have lots of money and yachts. And wow, that's what I want to hear. Right? Or you're the type of sheep that says, I want to listen to John Magatha so he can beat me over the head and tell me how rotten I am. Right? And how I don't know if I'm going to heaven because he's saying that I had to have done all this stuff before I was saved and I don't know if I did. I'm supposed to, you know, show all of this fruit all the time and I don't know if I am. You know, confused little sheep wondering where he's going. Oh, but he's written books on almost every book of the Bible. He's got to be the man. Right? You want me to keep naming names? I can. All did. That's not only true in the big picture, it's true in the small picture. You look at you look at these churches that people go to and want everybody else to go to, and then you read their statement of faith, and you're like, there's nothing here that's good, hardly. There's no scripture verses. There's no gospel. There's all this other stuff about racism and all this other stuff, but not the gospel, not Jesus Christ. It's endemic. You go and check. Oh, and not believe by grace through faith. No, 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 no. Repent of your sins first. You have to make Jesus Lord of your life before you can consider yourself saved. I hope there's a big ah, 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 as I speak those words, because that's not the voice of the shepherd. You won't find that. Do you realize that you will never find repent of your sins? I'm talking about for the church. Well, even when the word repent is used, you know what it's used for? You go from a place where you were listening to idolatry and didn't have a care for God in the world. And then based on hearing the gospel, you turn 180 degrees toward Jesus Christ's word. But that's not what you get. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. I can't. I can't. By the way, I definitely couldn't when I was an unbeliever. I didn't know what sins really were. And I can't do it now. As a believer, I still can't do it. Oh, I can. Yeah. Well, stop thinking more highly of yourself than you want to think. If that's what you think. Verse three for the I'm preaching it. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers, not in accordance with the sound word of God, sound doctrine, but their own desires. And notice this, they will turn away their ears from the truth. Little sheep, ears working really well, as Calvin said, I was once zoomed into the voice of my shepherd. But because I just got bored and I just want to try out the grass on the other side of the fence that the shepherd won't let me taste, I turn away my ears from the voice of my shepherd and I turn aside. I am turned aside. Because remember, there's, there's the kingdom of darkness, okay, they're powerful in the sense of they have a ways to deceive that are very enticing. OK, they'll turn you away look, look that, you know, just like the robbers and thieves were watching for the sheep that were wandering away and not listening to the voice of the shepherd anymore. Ah, pounce on those sheep, those sheep. They will be turned away to myths. What am I saying? As we close today, I'm saying quite simply, it's vital to hear the voice of the Lord and obey him. 
Jesus will say later on in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. When Jesus is before Pilate, he's going to talk again about hearing his voice and he's going to say, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. The issue is, do you recognize the truth? Who hears the voice of the Lord? Real simple. Everyone who is of the truth. What does that mean? It means that you're in a regular practice of hearing the truth. You're practicing it so that your ears are trained. You're able to discern good and evil, as Hebrews tells us. You hear the message. By the way, the first time you heard the message of truth was the gospel, and you believed it. And then all these amazing things happened on the basis of grace, not because you repented of your sins, not because you made Jesus Lord of your life, none of that stuff, because you heard the message of truth and you believed it. Jesus in John 17, 17, praying to his father, says, I want you to sanctify these people, the ones that are mine, with the truth. Your word is truth. You want to know what's the word of what's the truth is? The word of God. It's really simple, gang. The word of God is the truth. That's where we hear the voice of the Lord. And again, not the voice of the preacher. It's the word of God, live and powerful. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that every word that comes out of the mouth of God are words that we need to live by? To to have that life more abundant? Right? You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Hearing the voice of the Lord means that you listen to the word of God. And it's absolutely vital to your spiritual health. Listening to the word of God, just as eating in a good pasture is vital to you, the sheep's physical health, listening to the voice of our shepherd, listening to God's word on a regular basis is vital for our spiritual health. You can do it anytime you want. You can listen to the voice of the Lord anytime of the day or the night. And when you do that, again, you'll be trained to recognize it, recognize that voice of the Lord. That's what wise sheep do. They practice listening to the voice of the Lord every day, every time they have the opportunity to do so. We ought to do likewise. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that Jesus produced this figure, this extended figure for the benefit of his audience to challenge those in his audience who were not believing in him. But then also, as he will go on in chapter 10, challenge his people, his sheep, to continue hearing his voice and following him wherever he leads. Father, help us to be like wise sheep. Help us to recognize the voice of the Lord in the word of God. Help us to follow the Lord by hearing it, the word, believing it, and doing what it says. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Speaking of hearing over and over again, I'm going to tell you the gospel again. You might say, why? Because by practice, we get to discern good and evil. It's only by practice hearing the gospel that we can look and hear something else and say, that's that's all fine and good. It sounds great, but that's not the gospel. What's the gospel? We're all born sinners. 
God realized that we could never be perfect as he is perfect, which is the standard. Never going to happen. So what does he do? He says, here's how I'm going to set things up. I'm going to bring my son to earth. He's going to die for the sins of the world. He died for your sins and mine. Jesus was buried to prove that he died. On the third day, he, God the Father raised him from the dead. A miracle. We studied last Sunday how there's, there's all kinds of evidence of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. So Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead on the third day. And whoever believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior will never perish but have eternal life. Clear? Straightforward? Is it is it ingrained? Could you wake up at three o'clock in the morning and someone says gospel and you'll say, Jesus died for my sins and yours, was buried and rose from the dead. And by believing in him, you have eternal life. Can you? Good. I'm going to call some of you up tonight at three o'clock in the morning. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Let's close again. Father, thank you so much for all your gifts. Thank you so much that it is by grace that we didn't we didn't need to seek out a shepherd. He came to us. We didn't need to, 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 to work ourselves to find the pasture that's rich in nourishment. You provided us your word. You gave us the Holy Spirit. You saved us on the basis of hearing your word, hearing the voice for the first time and believing what it says, the gospel. So we just want to thank you for those things, Father. Help us to be wise in understanding and taking advantage of on craving the, your word as more necessary than our daily food. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.